Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Thanks so much. You may have a seat. And if you have your Bibles and you wish to, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 21, uh, fourth gospel, the fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 21. We'll be reading from there for just a moment. Um, a couple weeks ago, got on a plane to Phoenix. My wife and I were going out to visit a friend and see a church that was doing a very unique ministry, is doing a very unique ministry. So we Mid-morning uh, on a Wednesday, got on a plane, and as we're sitting there, we're about on row, I don't know, 18, 19 on the Southwest flight, and I had not paid attention to uh, the airline attendant as they were doing this before, but since we were sitting right there, we were sitting right behind those emergency exit row seats. You know what I'm talking about, over the, ring, over the wing. And so the flight attendant was explaining, okay, in case of emergency, um, you're going to need to help us, you know, evacuate people and follow crew member instructions. And she said, and I need a verbal consent from each of you that you are willing to assist. And so she started making her way across the row. She said, are you willing to help? Yes. Are you willing to help? Yes. Are you willing to help? Yes. Madam, are you willing to help? No. Crew member said, now you realize you're sitting in an emergency exit row, so you're going to need to help. And the person said, I don't want to. And the airline attendant said, well, then you're going to need to move. She said, but I want to sit here. But you're sitting in an emergency row, so you're going to need to help. I don't want to. Well, then you're going to have to move. But I want to sit here. You see the circular logic that we kind of got stuck in this loop? It, it, not unlike flying around an airport for an hour or so. It's just kind of stuck in this loop. And finally, the flight attendant said, ma'am, if you are not willing to help, you are required to move. And then she goes, well, I guess I'll help. <laughs> and the flight attendant said, too late, you already said no, move, all right? <laughs> and so she moved, and I told Paula, I said, I'm getting that seat right now. Let's go. Let's get in there, right? So it's a, you can almost spell and you can almost smell the entitlement mentality. And here's the point, and it's something that we learn in many areas of life, if you want to enjoy the privileges, like having that extra leg room, if you want to enjoy the privileges, you have to accept the responsibilities. And that's true not only of where you sit on an airplane, that's also true of where you decide to stand and sit in life. If you want to enjoy the privileges, you have to be willing to accept the responsibilities. And so consider where you sit today in a church. And I think most of us in this room would probably call ourselves a Christian, but to really enjoy all the privileges that come with that, we need to accept the responsibility. If we want the forgiveness, if we want freedom, if we want hope now and heaven later, if we want God's peace and God's presence, if we want to enjoy those privileges, we must accept the responsibility that goes along with that. What are those? And let's talk about that today. Okay, so hold that idea. John chapter 21. I want to read a scene from the life of Peter. And if you think 
boy, I could never be like all those perfect people in the Bible. You haven't read much about Peter yet. He was a mess, okay? And specifically, the night that Jesus was crucified, he said, even if all these other yahoos that call themselves disciples, even if they fall away, I will not. I will stick by you to the end. And you know what happened? That during his trial three times, Peter denied knowing Jesus. In fact, it says this, the third time he said he denied knowing Jesus with a curse. In other words, I would rather go to hell than to know that person. That's what he said. By the way, if you ever think that you've committed one sin too many, that God will never forgive you, you need to think again. Okay? Peter is just about as bad as it gets. There is no sin that you've ever committed that is too far gone that God will not forgive. Okay? So, Jesus dies. Peter knows that he had let Jesus down, but also he had a feeling that he was doomed. And let me put this in non-churchy language. He probably felt damned as well. Jesus comes back from the dead, which is good news. But now Peter is seeing him face to face. And this great news of the resurrection is tainted by his personal disappointment and knowing that he had let Jesus down. So a conversation was in order. And that happens in John 21. I'm going to start in verse 15. When they had finished eating. So it's morning, breakfast on the beach. And it's no accident that Jesus waited till after the meal to talk to Peter because it was after the final supper Jesus shared with his disciples that Peter had made all the promises. So Jesus waits till after the meal. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, how many of you still cringe when you remember your mom or dad saying your full name? That's what that is here. He says his full name, Simon, son of Jonah. John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Well, then get your eyes off yourself and feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Get your eyes off yourself. Take care of my sheep. A third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because right here he gets what Jesus is doing. For every time that Peter had denied knowing Jesus, now Jesus is offering him the opportunity to reaffirm his love and loyalty. He was hurt. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you were old, and this is the kind of death that Peter would die, he would die of crucifixion just like his Lord You'll stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said, follow me. Now, a couple of things happen in this conversation. The first is that Jesus helps Peter put his past at peace. Doesn't that sound good? Jesus works with Peter to finally put all of his past at rest. So there is something that we need, and there's a cheap imitation that culture offers. What culture offers is something called acceptance and affirmation. That no matter who you are, what you've done, whatever, we'll accept you and we'll affirm 
will accept what you've done, and will affirm wherever you are in your life today. That is a cheap knockoff of what we really need. What we really need is not the acceptance and the affirmation of people. What we really need is the forgiveness of God. That's what we really long for and crave for. And any acceptance and affirmation over here will not scratch that itch. And Jesus doesn't ask Peter to make up for it. He doesn't ask him to pay him back. He doesn't ask him to prove anything. He just says, I want you to affirm your love and loyalty to me. And now let's move on. So not only does he help Peter put his past to rest, but he also prepares Peter to face his future, whatever that is. So um, read an interesting story. There's a, a little island in the middle of a lake in the middle of Switzerland. So you have this little bitty island in the middle of Switzerland. In 1980, the Swiss parliament received notification that their order of lumber was ready, ship lumber was ready. Except the problem was the Swiss parliament in 1980 had no idea they had ordered lumber. What happened is 150 years earlier, in 1829, the Swiss Navy was experiencing a shortage of oak used to construct ships. So they said, we're going to need more wood. Let's plant a forest today, knowing it's going to take 150 years for the oak trees to mature. You want to talk about forward thinking, right? 150 years go by, and the forestry department says, your lumber's ready. But by then, ships were made out of steel and metal, right? So they had succeeded in thinking long they just hadn't succeeded in thinking differently. The future is not only different than you imagine, it is more different than you can imagine. I was thinking even this morning about how much ministry has changed in the last 10 years. 2013 looks nothing like 2023. And who knows what the next 10 years holds in store for our world and our church and our lives. So what Jesus does is he helps Peter prepare for his future. He says this, you have no idea what the future is going to hold, but I promise you this, I'm going to be with you every step of the way, and you follow me. So if we want to enjoy the privileges of putting the past to rest, being prepared for the future, if we want to enjoy those privileges, we must also accept the responsibility one more thing I want you to see before we, we get to the application. Verse 20, so they're strolling down a beach, Peter and Jesus are shoulder to shoulder. Well, now Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's code for John. He's the one who wrote this account. He turned around. <laughs> never, never realized it to us now. That's kind of bragging. The one, the one that was Jesus' favorite, you know that guy? That's me, right? Again, that was a lot funnier in my head than <laughs> Baptist lacrosse. That was funny a minute ago. I promise you that was funny. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? What about John? Isn't it just like us to avoid, we'll do anything other than dealing with ourselves and God, we'll, we'll become distracted by anything and everything else. And Jesus said this, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. I think we still do this. 
get the big picture here. Jesus helps Peter deal with his past and the future. But here's really the point. Jesus wants Peter to deal with himself. If there's one person you're avoiding in life, it's probably you. Think about this. We keep ourselves so busy and so distracted and going in so many directions. Don't you think that's because we're afraid of dealing with the only person we really can't control? And that's me. So, let's deal this morning for a few minutes, just you and God. You and Jesus are the only two people in this room, and I want to invite you to do some business with Him. So, here's how. When a thoroughbred racehorse dies, take Seabiscuit, famous horse. They don't bury the whole horse because that would be quite a hole to dig, right? So, they take three parts of the thoroughbred. They take the head, they take the heart, and they take the hoofs. The head represents the intelligence of a horse, the heart its courage, and the hoofs its speed, right? The rest they cremate, those three things they bury as a representative of the whole horse. So I think of discipleship in those terms, and it was actually John Wesley who said, if you follow Jesus, you need to give Him your head, your heart, and your hands, and that represents all of who you are. And so, if we want to experience the privileges of dealing with the past and the future and ourselves, we must be willing to accept that responsibility of giving Jesus our whole lives. So, it starts with our hands, our actions. Let me do another quick poll here. How many of you, and I'm sure every guy in the room is going to raise his hand, how many of you have seen the first Godfather movie? Yes, a revival breaks out at the church. I finally get Baptists to raise their hand. How about the gospel according to the Godfather? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be a great teaching series? It'd be the first rated R teaching series in any church ever. It would be awesome. But you know the scene at the end of the first Godfather movie, Michael Corleone, is in a church. Uh, I, I can't remember if it's son, his son or his nephew. He's there at the christening. He's there at the baptism. And the priest is asking him, do you reject the devil? Do you reject the devil's schemes? And he's, he's saying all the right things in church. But at the same time, it's this montage scene where all of his goons are out around New York, and they're killing everyone who is a competitor with Michael Corleone so he can become the dawn of the gangsters in New York. So, he's saying all the right things, but his actions say something completely different. Listen, don't tell me what you believe with your mouth. If you want to know what you really believe, look at your actions. Somebody once said, as we have lived, so we believe. So, don't say, well, I believe in generosity, and you never give. Don't say, I believe in prayer, and you never take the time. Don't, don't say, hey, God's voice is important to me, but you never read the Bible. If you want to know what you really believe, look at what you're acting on today. And if we want to enjoy the privileges of being in a relationship with God, then we must also accept the responsibilities, and it means changing our actions. It's also true of our heart. So, um, here's my recent thinking on heaven and hell. I do believe that heaven and hell are both real places. 
and it will be the final destiny for all of us, one of those two. There's no way of getting around that if you take just an honest reading of the Scripture. Heaven is a place where all of Jesus' greatest commands are fulfilled. We will love God, we will love others, we will love ourselves. It's that place where all of the commands are fulfilled. Hell is where all of those commands go unfulfilled. You will hate God, you will hate others, you will hate yourself forever. The thing is, right now, we are between those two worlds. And all of us are choosing, and we choose our final destination in Christ, but all of us today are choosing how we want to live, whether our lives become more like hell or more like heaven. We're choosing a direction. And so as we continue to hate more, we're actually our lives become hell. As we love more, our lives can become heaven. Have you heard that thing where your taste buds change in your mouth every seven years? All your taste buds are completely replaced? You've heard that, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, thank you. Okay. Actually, your taste buds don't change every seven years. They change every seven days. Our taste is always changing. Develop a taste for love. Develop a taste. That, what happens to our heart can change at any moment, and it changes all the time. So, if we want to enjoy the privileges, we must accept the responsibility, what we do with our hands and what we do with our hearts. Now, here's the last one, what we do with our heads. So, if you picked up an announcement sheet this morning, would you, would you take it out for just a second? If you didn't pick one up, I would encourage you to do that after our time together. On the back is kind of the roadmap of what we're going to be talking about this fall. It's the Apostles' Creed. Now, let me take you back in time. The Apostles' Creed goes back to about 150 A.D., so about 120 years after Jesus. The church wanted to articulate what is it we believe. In our head, what is it that we believe as followers of Jesus? Now, contrary to what the name might suggest, the apostles did not write this. It's a summation of what the apostles consistently taught. The New Testament has about 50,000 words. The Apostles' Creed is the New Testament in 100 words. It pretty much distills down, here is what we believe the most, okay? And what you'll notice is it's put in the framework of the Trinity. The first paragraph is, I believe in God the Father Almighty. So next week, we're going to talk about what it means to call God Father. By the way, our entire worship time today has been consumed with worshiping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Second paragraph is what we believe about Jesus. The third paragraph is what we believe about the Holy Spirit. What I would encourage you to do over this fall, if you choose to, let's think about what we think. Let's think about what we do with our heads. Every time I do a wedding in this place, if a couple wants to do their own vows, that's great but we'll do the traditional vows first. Because typically the vows people say to one another are more sentiment than commitment. And so regardless of what, what you think marriage is gonna be, here's what it really means. In the same way in the church, we don't get together and say, hey, you can believe whatever you want to. No, we have a statement that says, here is what we must believe to bring our lives and our minds into line 
with reality and with truth. So, let me ask you to use your imagination for just a moment in how this creed was used in the early church. Let's imagine you live at about 150 A.D. The iPhone had not even been heard of yet. Can you even remember life before 2007, before the iPhone? The world has changed a lot. So imagine 150 A.D., and you're getting ready to be baptized. Just put your imagination to work. Over the past 40 days, you have fasted from meat and wine. You have kept all-night vigils. You have visited the poor, the widows, the orphan. The night before the baptism, your pastor breathes on your face as a sign of you receiving the Holy Spirit. He anoints your forehead and your ears and your nose with oil, and he places salt on your tongue to remind you that from this day forward, you will be the salt of the earth. So today is Easter morning, the day of your baptism. Standing in an antechamber with members of the same gender, you remove your clothes and wait for the deacon to call you to a stone font which has been carved into the ground. In stripping off your clothes, you are symbolizing the removal of your old self in order to receive the new self promised to you in Jesus' resurrection. Now, if you're a woman, a female deacon will perform the entire rite in place of your pastor. So now standing in the water, you are naked as Jesus was on the cross. And your pastor asks you to renounce the devil and his schemes, and you proclaim yes with vigor. Your pastor now immerses you three times, asking you each time what you believe. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. What do you believe? I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried, he descended to the grave, but on the third day he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he will return to judge the living and the dead. What do you believe? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Universal Church. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And three times you're baptized. On that third time, as you emerge from the water, your pastor gives you a cup, which is a mixture of milk and honey, as a token of your symbolic entrance into the new promised land. How many of you want to be rebaptized today? Yeah to be able to affirm our faith and to say, here's what we believe. So get this, if we want to enjoy the privileges, we have to accept the responsibility. Don't call yourself a Christian unless you're willing to say, it will change the way I live. Being a Christian will change my affections in the direction of heaven and moving away from hatred. And my faith will dictate what I believe. In a culture that says you can believe everything you want to believe and it's okay. I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, those who believe in God don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. It's important that we know exactly what we believe and why. So I want to encourage you to go on this journey with me. One more note here. Um, 
years ago I was in an antique store, found an old book, liked it, so I bought it. But the real gem uh, fell out of the book when I got it home. It was a piece of paper, a little onion skin paper. I've used this in the past. This will be the last time I use this. I've, I've used this several times. But what fell out of it was uh, an old note, typewritten paper. So my guess, it feels like the 50s or 60s or actually smells like the 70s, probably the 70s. I don't know what the 70s smell like, but it smells like this. And it's a third grade teacher named Merle Morton, and he wrote a credo. Here's what he writes. My overall purpose this year is to accept my pupils where they are and then advance them as far as possible, establishing in them the, the pleasure of being in school every day, the desire to want to finish their work and at the same time doing their best, the desire to learn more every day, and then, if possible, to like their teacher. That's a good little creed. And every day I imagine him reading this and say, now this will drive what we do today. You know what? Whatever you believe, and I hope that this fall as we walk through the creed, we'll be looking at the Scripture. We won't be teaching the creed, we'll be teaching the Scripture. I hope that what we believe, grounded in historical, biblical Christianity, will call us to not only like God, but to love him more every day. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. So I'm going to model what this might look like to use the creed as an opportunity for prayer. We believe in you, God. You are the Father Almighty. You are the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord. Jesus, you were conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. You suffered under a man named Pontius Pilate. You were crucified, died, you were buried, and you descended to the grave. But on the third day, but on that third day, you rose again from the dead. You ascended into heaven. You are seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and you will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in your holy Catholic universal church. We believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and we believe in life everlasting. We believe in this one gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.